Well, greetings and welcome to the iFormerX podcast. This is Stuart Haynes. iFormerX is a community of practice dedicated to exploring the evidence that informs ambulatory care pharmacy practice. And if you've been a member of iFormerX community for a few years now, you know that we've posted a number of commentaries and podcasts regarding the epidemic of opioid-related deaths and important ways that pharmacists can help patients who suffer from opioid use disorder. Uh, Now, opioids are but one drug that is misused in our society. Indeed, alcohol and tobacco use claim thousands of lives every year. And with the legalization of marijuana in many states, unhealthy use of cannabis, particularly among teenagers and young adults, is on the rise. And let's not forget about the misuse of prescription medications. Pharmacists, I believe, have a special obligation to ensure that all medications, whether prescribed, purchased over-the-counter, or obtained illicitly, are used in a manner that leads to improved health. Thus, we all must be on the constant lookout for patients who are using drugs in unhealthy ways. But how? How can we screen and identify patients who may have unhealthy drug use patterns and get them moving towards a healthier path? Well, a recent report by the United States Preventative Services Task Force, or USPSTF, provides a great summary of what's known and gives some helpful guidance. And here to discuss the USPSTF report on screening for unhealthy drug use are Melissa Palma, Jordan Cooler, and Amanda Stanky. Uh, Dr. Palmer and Stanky are on faculty with the University of Missouri, Kansas City, And Dr. Cooler is on faculty with the University of South Carolina. Doctors Palmer and Cooler are board certified in psychiatric pharmacy practice and have a strong interest in substance use disorders. And like many of you who are members of iFormerX, Dr. Stanky is a board certified ambulatory care pharmacist that assists veterans with chronic disease management and has a strong interest in behavioral health. So Melissa, Jordan, Amanda, I'm so pleased you can join me today. Welcome. Thank you, Stuart, for inviting us. Yes, thank you for having us. I'm looking forward to shedding some additional light on these new recommendations. As my colleague said, I'm excited to be here, and thank you for this opportunity. So I'd like to start with a patient case and to make this topic a bit more accessible to some in our audience who don't routinely deal with mental health or substance use disorders. I want to revisit a case that we discussed a few weeks ago on one of our previous podcasts. So I want you to imagine you're interviewing LR, a 59-year-old African-American male, via Zoom today for a routine blood pressure follow-up visit, and the patient has a long-standing history of high blood pressure. RL is also overweight but is otherwise healthy. He has no personal history of cardiovascular disease, but he states that his sister has kidney problems and his father died at the age of 60 from a stroke. The patient currently takes lisinopril, hydrochlorothiazide, and lodipine. And four months ago, he was started on spironolactone by his primary care provider. At his last follow-up visit three months ago, his blood pressure was significantly improved with the addition of spironolactone. He currently weighs 201 pounds and his BMI is 36.2. He states that he usually measures his blood pressure most days, and today's reading was 148 over 86. 
He admits that he forgot to get his labs drawn yesterday and state that he's not keen on interacting with other people due to the pandemic. He lives with his wife of 35 years. His children are all grown and live several hours away. He lost his job back in April, but luckily his wife is a nurse and they have good health insurance through the hospital where she works. She's been working a lot of overtime hours lately, which is good because they could really use the income. So Melissa, on the surface, this is just a routine follow-up visit for blood pressure management, but is it? I'm certain you've encountered many cases in your practice where things aren't as they appear, and there are clues that something else might be going on. So I'm wondering what's going through your mind in a case like this. What additional information would you collect and assess during the encounter? And what interventions, if any, would you be considering? First off, there are a number of risk factors for substance use that vary depending on the substance. But in general, risk factors include a comorbid mental health diagnosis, such as bipolar disorder, untreated ADHD, PTSD, ease of the availability of the substance, family history of a substance use disorder, history of conduct disorder in childhood or adolescence, and a diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder. When considering LR, I would want to find out his own personal history as well as that of his family. In addition, there are a lot of general signs of substance use that can include difficulties at school or work or home, changes in physical appearance, including either weight gain or weight loss, financial strain, and cognitive changes. As with many people, the current pandemic has led to some significant changes in LR's life. He has lost his job and likely isn't interacting with other people as much, especially if his wife is working a lot due to potential financial strain. Some people don't do well with too much alone time, so I would want to find out how LR is coping with this. This open-ended gesture may open the door towards finding out additional information, such as any potential substance use. Since most substance use disorders are most common in the 18 to 29 age group, LR is a bit outside this range, but regardless, based on the USPSTF recommendation, he should be screened for any unhealthy drug use. In terms of LR's blood pressure, there are a number of things to consider. Has he been able to afford all his medications? Has he been able to take all of his medications as prescribed, along with any potential lifestyle changes that he may or may not be implementing? How is his blood pressure technique? Can he be convinced to get labs today? Taking all of these things into account may mean no pharmacologic changes today, but if a medication change is indicated, lisinopril and spironolactone doses could be optimized. In addition, you could consider switching the patient from hydrochlorothiazide to chlorthalidone. So Amanda, let's talk about the USPSTF report that you reviewed in your iFormerX commentary. The paper was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, or JAMA, in June 2020, and it's entitled Screening for Unhealthy Drug Use, Updated Evidence Report and Systematic Review for the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force. And we provide a link to the paper on the iFormerX website, but can you give us a brief summary of the methods used to conduct this systematic review, the major findings, and the key recommendations? The systematic review updated the 2008 review and supplemental report published by the USPSTF. Seven key questions were set to be answered during this review. 
including the improvement in drug use or risky behaviors and reduction in mortality and morbidity in various patient populations, along with the accuracy of assessments, non-pharmacologic measures, and pharmacologic treatment. Data sources included Medline, PubMed, and Central, among others. They were searched from January 1998 to June 7, 2018. Exclusion criteria included studies written in language other than English, case control studies, utilization of non-FDA-approved therapies, and if the study was included in an inpatient setting or correctional facility. Fortunately, strong evidence is available for several of the key questions, such as the benefit of non-pharmacologic and pharmacologic therapy in opioid use disorders, especially in treatment-seeking individuals. But there are still many areas in which data is needed, including the adolescent and pregnant patient populations. There are limits to the data available, but we know prescribing therapy for an opioid use disorder is effective in decreasing relapse rates and increasing retention and treatment. As an ambulatory care pharmacist, I felt the most important overall theme from the review was a recommendation to assess all patients 18 years of age and older for unhealthy drug use when services to address this is available. Well, Jordan, there's uh, several screening tools mentioned in this report. Are there particular tools or approaches that you believe would be most useful, particularly in primary care and community pharmacy settings? And do you think we should be screening every patient at every patient encounter, just a few patients, just new patients, or just when you have a feeling that it might be a problem? Yeah, so for someone who's not used to routinely assessing for or discussing substance use, I can see where the recommendation to screen for use in all adult patients can be daunting. That can be coupled with feelings of confusion about how often this needs to be done. I think it's easiest to jump into this process with the understanding that even single-item screenings can be beneficial based on the findings from the USPSTF report. The CDC actually recommends a single-question screen for alcohol use that can be adapted to any substance use. For instance, you can ask your patient, in the last year, how often have you drank over four to five drinks in a sitting? That four to five drinks, depending on the patient's gender, would be a gauge for binge drinking. For assessing other substances, the question could be modified to, in the last year, how often have you used illegal drugs, including marijuana or recreational use of prescriptions? There are several other screening tools recommended by both the USPSTF report and the National Institute on Drug Abuse that are just as quick and easy and take just a couple of minutes to complete. These include the CAGE-AID, which is a form of the CAGE assessment, which stands for Cut Down annoyed, guilty, and eye-opener. This is an alcohol screen that has been adapted to include other substances. The Tobacco, Alcohol, and Prescription Medication Use Tool, or the TAPS, and this screen includes tobacco, alcohol, and other substances. And finally, the Substance Use Brief Screen, which includes alcohol, tobacco, and other substances. When determining the frequency of screening, I think you have to look at it from the standpoint of the general population versus specific subgroups that may need to be handled differently. This will differentiate the why of screening. Definitely getting the question out there for all new patients is important for establishing a baseline, and this is what I tell the patient. The more we can get used to this as a part of our routine physical and follow-up, the more comfortable clinicians and patients can feel with this information. For patients seen on an annual or biannual basis, it makes the most sense to continue to follow up with screening at each visit to ensure that there have not been any changes. If using a single item screen, make sure you frame it based on their last follow-up. In other words, 
referencing in the last year or within the last six months. For established patients, letting them know that there's more evidence out there for screening for unhealthy use can be a helpful way to break the ice. And of course, as life stressors and other risk factors for substance use occur, such as development of a psychiatric comorbidity, we must make sure to assess for use in this context and provide this as a rationale to the patient. In certain subgroups, such as those with a known current or history of use, or those on chronic opioid pain medications, we want to also assess at each follow-up because early identification and referral for management will be key in these groups. Well, Melissa, let's return to the case. Recall that LR is here today for a routine blood pressure follow-up visit, and we're interacting with him via Zoom, so I think that adds to the dynamic of the encounter. Let's assume you've interacted with LR only once before, so you don't have this long-standing relationship with him. How would you go about screening him for potential unhealthy drug use? When during the encounter would you gather this information? And let's assume that the results of your screening suggest that LRR might be consuming unhealthy amounts of alcohol. What would you do to help LR get to a healthier place in his life? For those of us who have been interacting with patients virtually, you are certainly right that it adds another layer of complexity to the encounter, particularly if it's a relatively new patient like LR. From Amanda's perspective at the VA, drug and alcohol use screening questions are generally done in the initial check-in process for patients when vitals and other clinical reminders are being addressed. But if that's not the case for you, asking about potential substance use when gathering social history is a good place to start. Keeping questions non-judgmental is essential. It is also important to recognize how vulnerable patients may feel discussing substance use. So a healthy dose, pardon the pun, a healthy dose of empathy is also crucial. Utilizing single or brief screeners, as Jordan discussed, is certainly an option, as is simply asking the open-ended question of, how much alcohol do you drink in an average week? Or in the last year, how often have you used illegal drugs, including marijuana or recreational use of prescriptions? Questions like that can often get the ball rolling. Unfortunately, the USPSTF review does not cover a significant amount of resources regarding alcohol use disorder, but many tools and treatments are available. If the pharmacist is approaching questions like this as a normal part of practice, this can often help mitigate any discomfort the patient may feel. And of course, therapeutic rapport always helps. If it is determined LR is consuming unhealthy amounts of alcohol, the next step is referral for possible diagnosis and treatment. Pharmacists can then certainly help manage pharmacologic treatment, such as naltrexone or a acamprosate for alcohol use disorder. Jordan and I also recently posted a meta-analysis examining inclusion of significant others in the treatment of substance use disorders, which found that involvement does translate to a decrease in substance use. So talking to LR about including his wife in any possible treatment could be considered. Now, having said all this, we certainly realize that identifying unhealthy substance use may be more difficult in the community setting, and sometimes this information is only available if offered by the patient. A potential way to consider working this into workflow Maybe to ask just generally how the patient is coping with his or her current situation. The recent pandemic has offered an easy segue into these types of discussions. Another opportunity may be to incorporate counseling about drug-drug interactions into patient education at time of prescription pickup. 
and expansion of prescription drug monitoring programs may allow community pharmacists to identify patients at risk for unhealthy drug use. As mentioned, it is really important to remember that prior to working unhealthy substance use assessments into any practice, a process for addressing any positive findings has to be present. This could be as simple as asking the patient's permission to call their PCP together to discuss a further assessment. And if your practice site doesn't have a similar process in place, consider identifying a champion, possibly you, to make it happen. Well, Jordan, Amanda, Melissa, I want to thank all of you for joining me today to talk about unhealthy drug use and how we can be more proactive at identifying patients and getting them help. Um, I think it's clear from your comments that screening is an important part of what we need to be doing by asking questions during most encounters and being thoughtful about how we ask the questions and being empathetic. And then, of course, thinking ahead of time about how we might address a positive screen. How are we going to refer that patient if it appears that they do have unhealthy drug use? Well, tell us, what do you think? What tools or strategies do you use in your practice to screen for unhealthy drug use? When do you use these tools? Do you screen every patient, every visit, or just some patients, some visits? Remember, only iFormRx members can leave comments and use the interactive features on the site, and you can become a member of iFormRx. It's free to healthcare professionals. Now, for those of you in our audience who are board-certified ambulatory care pharmacists or plan to become a board-certified pharmacist soon, you should check out the American Pharmacists Association's Ambulatory Care Board Prep and Recertification Program. If you're looking to earn recertification credit, we've partnered with APHA to offer iFormRx content as part of their recertification program. To learn more, just click on the link at the bottom of the written commentary posted on the iFormerX website. And lastly, I want to extend a special thanks to Melissa and to Jordan, my guests today, for maintaining the Substance Use Disorder resource page on the iFormerX website. It seems like every time I turn around, Melissa and Jordan are posting updates to the website, making certain this resource contains the latest evidence and links to the most authoritative guidelines. If you haven't logged into the iFormerX website and checked out our clinical trials and guidelines resource pages before, you should. Many of our members use them with their students and residents or turn to them when they want to start new services. So if you want to get more involved in treating patients with substance use disorders, I can't think of a better place to start. So thank you, Melissa, Jordan, for helping make this community of practice possible. Well, until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, signing off. Be well, my friends. Mm-hmm.